Welcome to the Becoming Well podcast. Join Dr. Deb Gordon and Mary Hendrickson as they get real in wrestling with the topic of faith and mental health as we seek to understand what Jesus really means when he says, be well. What were your first encounters with mental health? What were your first experiences with mental health in the church? Did your pastor talk about it? Join us today as we focus on the gospel's view on becoming well. So we ended our last podcast kind of talking about this idea of how do churches uh, navigate the conversation around mental health. And I mentioned that my church is pretty open to having this conversation, which is actually kind of the primary reason I was drawn there. And they had a service a couple months ago where the pastor preached on mental health, and we had an overwhelming response from the congregation. Um, Just people that are probably navigating mental health challenges, wanting to pray for family members, maybe wanting to share and seek resources from their own Mm -hmm. experiences. But you and I both know just from the work that we do and even, you know, kind of growing up in the church Mm -hmm. um, and both being mental health professionals, that this hasn't historically been a real conversation that churches are having. So yeah. I'm just curious, Mary, from your point of view or from your own experience, what what was your first memory of, or do you even have one of either your church or the church talking about mental health? You know, the, the first memory that I have, and I can't even say it was this church-wide issue, but I remember... Um, when I first started going to uh, my graduate program, when I decided I am going to be a therapist, I'm going to get in psychology, right? And I remember my therapist actually worked out of our church. So I know, which was, you know, we had That's to talk like about revolution, right? <laughs> right? You know, we had to talk about dual relationships. What if I see you in the service, you know? But, but I remember going to his office. You know, it was obviously on a day that it wasn't church, but a lot of the, you know, the, you know, pastors and stuff were still there. So I remember going to his office and I passed one of the pastors and I'm, I said, hey, how you doing? And he was like, what, you, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm going to therapy, right? That's when I was, you know, I decided I'm just going to be proud. I'm going to therapy, you know, and, you know, there's a whole backstory of why it was so shameful for me from the beginning. But at that moment, I was pretty proud of that. And I remember he said, girl, you need to go in your prayer closet and just pray about it. Right? Now, it wasn't shocking to me, though, but that is the sentiment of what I grew up with, that whatever is going on with you, one, God can handle it, two— don't air your dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. That's a no-no, you know. And so it's one of those things of if you have ish or it's for crazy people. Yeah. Right? Quote, unquote. Right? I always say that if that's the case, then we're all <laughs> crazy. I had an old <laughs> professor. We are all crazy. Yeah. I had an old a professor at, at Biola at Talbot. I went to their seminary for a while. And I remember he said, we're just all, you know, psychotic, just trying not to step on each other's junk. <laughs> <laughs> Because I tell people all the time, if they tell you they're saying they're lying, right? Tell, bring them to me. Bring them to me. I said it. But, but the whole idea of my first encounter with that, um, it, it, it was lifelong. It wasn't just my first. In, it was my first outward encounter. But that was the message that was sent to me from a small child. I remember having 
um, people in my neighborhood that now I look back and know that they struggle with mental health, but we would avoid them, right? Even Mm -hmm. if it was on the street or there was always that that crazy guy that's on the street, right? Um, But for me, in terms of the church, that was my first encounter, the first positive encounter. You know, it's just recent. It hasn't been, you know, this is a new thing in terms of mental health in the church, right? Yeah. It's recent. But for the most part, I grew up with the idea of we don't— no, that's psychology and theology are moral enemies. Yeah. Right? They don't have anything to do with one another. They don't have anything to do with one another. Psychology is fundamentally atheist. Yeah. Right? And so that's how, you know, in, in an academic sense, that's how I learned, you know, what that, you know, that's kind of my first encounter. But just, you know, just in my neighborhood, it, it wasn't a thing. I think it was— um even the times that I did go to church when I was young, it, it, it was everything, you know, store, you know, would stay in the church. Now, the church was always very, very pivotal for black um, Americans because there was so much, um, you, you, you know, you, it, whether it's politics, whether it's healing, everything, it was a place of a safe haven for mm-hmm. us in all domains. So um, if there were any mental health issues, um, they definitely were identified as spiritual um, issues and so they were never, you know, seen as some type of illness, but rather a spiritual deficiency. Yeah, Does that lack make sense? of faith. Kind yeah, of thing. lack of faith. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, when I talk about that idea of shame, because I think that was probably my first experience indirectly. Mm. Um, when I, so I mentioned in in the last episode that I went to counseling after my mom passed away, but I actually went one time prior to that when she was still alive. And mm. when I was in graduate school, they had a um, a therapy fund. And so you could apply for a scholarship and you could, if you got money, you could go probably to like three or four sessions with all, all that afforded. Mm-hmm. And I thought, not that I had any problems, <laughs> <Right>. of course. <laughs> but if I'm going to be a psychologist, if I'm going to be a counselor, um, I want to know what it's like on the other side of the couch, so mm-hmm. to speak. I right. want to know what my right. clients are going to feel like. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go, and I had this very lofty um, mindset of, I'm just going to learn what it's like for my clients. <laughs> All right, sake, for, your, right? for your toolbox. And then I found out what a mess I was. But <laughs> I remember. It's so, right? It's oh. We're such messy people. <laughs> um, we're chilly. <laughs> you got to listen to episode one if you don't know that analogy. I love but it. Uh, I remember I was home on a break, and I told my mom, you know, oh, I'm going to counseling. And at that point, I think I had been to maybe three sessions and it was incredibly profound and enlightening for me. Mm. And her response was, what did I do to you? Wow. And I don't think it was, you know, yeah. I, I don't I don't blame her for that right, response, right. but it's the shame That's culture absolutely. around mental health. Absolutely. And I didn't share with any of my friends after it got to the point where I realized I really needed counseling. Mm. And I would say, you know, kind of looking back then on my first experience in the church, I certainly didn't talk about it then. Mm-hmm. But when I graduated and became a professional, um, I somebody in the church I was going to at that time found out, you know, they asked me what I did for a living and I shared with them. And um, and so they said, oh, our pastor's really been wanting to to think of ways that that the congregation can care for the mental well-being of its members. Mm. And so we actually co-created a class that um, church members could come to one day a week, 
but we didn't call it like navigating mental health or dealing with depression. We called it caring for caregivers because (laughs) we knew Uh if we said this had anything to do with your mental health, nobody would come. Right. You'd be sitting there by yourself. Yeah. (laughs) And that wasn't that long ago either. You know, this is, like you said, it's such a new conversation. It is, you know. And I think it's starting to... Um, like I said, er, you know, on the last podcast, that it's it's becoming less taboo because of you know all of the different um, societal ills, um, but also understanding there are different type of counselors as well. I think before, um, pastors are so um, needed in the church and they're so gifted, but all pastors aren't counselors, mm-hmm. right? Nor am I a pastor. Like, oh, I'm a right. counselor. I have theological training, but I would say I defer a lot of spiritual questions yes. in my clients to their local pastor. Yes. The and complimentary relationship. It, it really is. And I think, but there's, and there's nothing wrong with that at mm. all. You know, I, you know, I would say like, listen, I stay in my lane. Because okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to mess anybody up. <laughs> you know, and be okay with that. Yeah. And say... I am going to refer you to someone that act, act, you know, that actually can answer these questions for you, yeah. right? And be okay that there is somebody out there that can help you in that, you know, in that area, and not feel as though the church has to be the one vessel that God can use, you know, or, um, or, or outside of that could just be the one vessel, you know. But it can be where, yes pastors are great. Yes, your prayer warriors and your sisters and brothers in the church are great. But there's also something to be said for when you are just using one one outlet is that sometimes there's no objectivity. Mm, okay? yeah. You go to your pastor, he, you know, he, the, the great thing is that he may have known you since you were five. The bad thing is that he may have known you since you were five. <laughs> you got a reputation. You got a reputation, right? So he know your mama, you know, and he might, you know, or therapists as well. That's why therapists, you know, we don't counsel our friends and family members. But the thing about it is, you know, sometimes we need a space where um, someone doesn't know us and, 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 and still can love us the way pastors do and still can love us the way the church does. Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't have to talk about it in the church. Do yeah. you know what I mean? But yeah. we can use uh, diverse vessels to be able to facilitate healing. It doesn't have to be from one outlet. Yeah. It's like I tell my students, you know, I don't want to downplay the hard work, blood, sweat, and tears we put into getting our degrees, right? right, right. But the reality is, one of the things that makes us good therapists mm-hmm. is perspective. Yeah. We're not in the mess of our clients' day-to-day lives. We sit with them in right. it in that moment, right. but we're not navigating it mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious what you think. I have my own thoughts on this, but you know, um, as we both shared about, this is still a really new conversation. It wasn't until I moved to Chicago, and even after I'd been here a couple of years, that I found a church that was open to talking about mental health regularly and where even the pastors acknowledged going to counselors. And we're talking in the last six years. Right. Why do you think pastors are so hesitant Mm. to talk about mental illness or mental health? Mm. You know what? I think it has to do with the way the the rest of the world thinks. There are, you know, we think we, the last podcast, we talked about men and how there are expectations on on how they are to behave in Mm -hmm. our society. I think that's the same thing with pastors, right? Pastors are, are, uh, you know, put on a pedestal and not, you know, necessarily by their, 
you know, own, you know, admission, but, but they're put on a pedestal. They're expected to be something. They're expected not to be something, which is what unhealthy or have, or tired or have mental health issues, right? There's no space. And historically there, there hasn't been any space for, you know, especially pastors to be able to say, I'm not feeling well, I'm not healthy. I need to recharge. There's never been space, right? So it's the same thing. We talk about how there's not a lot of space for women to do certain things or men to do certain things. There's a high amount of stress and there's a rigid box that pastors are put in where if they show any type of humanness, yes, then they are sent to the wolves. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's I, a lot of pressure. It's so much pressure. And I remember not too long ago hearing about this one pastor, um, Howard John Wesley, mm. and he's a pastor of Alfred uh, Street Baptist Church. And he talked about, he did an actual whole sermon on how he was taking a Sabbath and taking a break because he was burned out. Mm-hmm. And that his understanding of the role of a pastor, which I think he had come from, you know, a family of pastors, his father was a pastor, was that it's 24-7. That was yes. like, I think he actually said that's the only model I've ever known yes. is literally the role of a pastor is 24-7. Yes. And we see like this increasing amount of burnout and stress and anxiety mm-hmm. and depression and unfortunately even suicide. Like yes. there's been an, a number of really prominent pastors who've taken their own lives yeah. over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it, we're, we're kind of at, a crucial turning point mm-hmm. at the fork in the road, mm-hmm. if you will, that this conversation needs to be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned this earlier, and I think there's a lot of validity to this, this idea of what psychology has historically looked like. Mm-hmm. And I think from a, a faith-based or a theological perspective, even there's a fear or there's a misunderstanding that psychology is all about focusing on the self. Right. You know, it's kind of like you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> right. The highest need is self actualization. <laughs> right. And yet, I know for you and I, this idea of wholeness and mental wellness is so much more about seeing ourselves the way Christ yes. or the way that God designed oh, us yes. and was reflected in Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And so I am just wrestling with how that message can start to really flow into the church's understanding yeah. of counseling and mental health. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's it's... I mean, I don't mean to minimize it or make it seem like it's just, you know, this basic answer, but it really is education because mm-hmm. I think people have not um, updated their data, mm-hmm. right? Whenever we think of some churches, you know, they they still think of it as that's science. Yeah. Right. And that, you know, I tell my students whenever I teach theories, right? So when I teach theories, it's very interesting, right? That I start with, <laughs> with, with psychoanalytics sometimes and they're like, oh good my old gosh, Freud. good old Freud, right? <laughs> they're like, oh my gosh, you know? <laughs> and I always have this, this, this meme where I'm, you know, where this baby is sitting there is like, don't throw me out, right? And it's like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Right. And meaning that, even though there are some things, you know, yes, for it has its detractors for good reason, but it doesn't mean that th- these individuals weren't used in a way that is very, um, very, very, that speaks to so much of who God is, mm-hmm. right? So, when we, for example, when we talk about 
Um, you know, I always love uh, person centered with Rogers. Oh, yeah. Unconditional positive regard. Papa Rogers. Yes, <laughs> Papa Rogers. And his disposition, right? And I don't, you know, what I want to be careful is that I, I, I don't want to take psychology and then baptize it, right? Right. I do, we, you know, I definitely come from a theological standpoint and then have that understanding of what that looks like from a psychological standpoint. Does that yeah, make sense? Totally. Um, however, that doesn't mean that people that God used in the past, even though it wasn't their intention to use it for him, it doesn't mean that it, it can't be used for him. Right. It's like, when people, it's like when people came to Paul and they were complaining about the unhealthy people preaching the word of God, yeah. right? Who, who, hadn't, who hadn't been baptized into the truth. And Paul was like, hey, if people are hearing the word of God, right. let them let hear them the word of God. Word. <laughs> we're going to keep on our mission. But, yeah. I, you know, I love, because I'm with you, like God's truth is the foundational truth. Everything mm-hmm. else comes out of that. I don't try to fit psychology into God's right. truth. Right. Like God's truth. And then through that, mm-hmm. I understand psychology right. and our mental health makeup. But I always, when I come across like a new study that is released in the research realm of of counseling and mental health and psychology, so many times I'm like, my God is so good. Mm-hmm. So I think about, mm-hmm. you know, this idea of, we talked about it earlier, um, being anxious, yeah. right? And yeah. and what does Philippians say? Be anxious about nothing. nothing. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think we stop there mm-hmm. and we send this message of if you are anxious, your faith isn't strong enough, right. your prayer life isn't, right. you know, consistent enough. Mm-hmm. But God gives us a prescription. Yeah. He says, be anxious about nothing, mm-hmm. but, and I'm going to insert in there, when you are, because mm-hmm. that's what but indicates, right? right? So when he knows we're going to he be. He knows we're going to be anxious. <laughs> and then he gives a prescription. Mm-hmm. And he says, through prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And what I find so fascinating on that thanksgiving piece, and I think this speaks exactly to what you were saying earlier, is as technology has developed mm-hmm. and we're actually able to see how our brains function, yeah. do you know that they hooked people up to electrodes to see the different parts of their brain that were activated and transformed and people who practiced gratitude mm. actually changed the structures of their brain. I love it. You are neuroscience. You are speaking. Right? Yes. God knew. God yes. said, when you're anxious, yes. express gratitude. Yes. And now science is catching up and right. saying, oh, wait a minute, gratitude right. changes the structure of our brain. <laughs> or it's like be, you know, take every thought captive. Yes. You know, I think one of the things that that we really can see now as we've gotten greater access to how our, our miraculously made phenomenal body functions mm-hmm. is that thinking and behavior cannot be separated. They cannot be separated. They can't even, from any standpoint, right? Whether we talk about from a spiritual standpoint, from a biological standpoint, from a neurological standpoint, it just cannot be separated yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah. I was, um, so clearly I'm kind of the science nerd in the room here, but I was reading <laughs> this an, another article and it was talking about, um, and I like to explain science as my very intelligent cousin who's a board certified anesthesiologist likes to say from the standpoint of like an eight-year-old. Okay. So here's science from an eight-year-old standpoint. Um, I was reading this article, and it was talking about our um, our neurons and our receptors mm-hmm. and how we have certain receptors that are more conducive to um, receiving negative messages mm-hmm. and certain receptors that are more conducive to receiving positive messages. Mm-hmm. And when we look at positive and negative messages and the impact on the brain, yeah. typically it takes about five positive messages to outweigh the impact of a negative. Yes, yeah. yes. And what was fascinating in um, this research is that they were saying that negative, the neurons that are more receptive to negative communication mm-hmm. can actually multiply and kill out the, the ones, ones that, that are, are more positive. Yes. 
But thankfully also vice versa. So I'm thinking like, of course, God understood when he said, take every thought captive, just what impact that would have on the rest of our body. The rest, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the what? Of the mind. Mind. Right? So he knows, you know, and that, I love this conversation because it, you know, sometimes it, you know, and it may be because I'm 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 old, but I'm not as old school. You know, sometimes when it depends on the era you grew up in and 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 things are evolving, sometimes I think how it, it's never been a wonder to me that they're actually related. Oh yeah. yeah. Like it's never been a wonder to me. And I understand why it can be for a lot of different people. And I couldn't, you know, again, I don't want to ever make it seem as if I have this like this high knowledge and everyone else is behind. But it's it's always been comforting to me. Yeah. I'll say that. That that the scriptures talk about the mind and how important the mind is, oh right? My gosh, and how important yeah. it's related to the yeah. body, right? Yeah. And it's just, to me, it makes me even more excited when I think about counseling or psychology and theology, right? Mm-hmm. Because then that's when theology is at the top and then psychology and everything else is kind of under that, it's under that umbrella. But seeing how fantastic, like you talk about the neurons and all of this neurological stuff, it, it, it is important that we know that that is from God. Yeah. That's from God. We cannot separate these two concepts. We can not. And, you know, I tell my students that, okay, so, you know, if they've always been, you know, mortal enemies to you, let's just pretend like they're like dating. Okay. <laughs> You're not ready Ooh, to, that's to good. commit yeah. yet. <laughs> that's good. Um, so I'm curious now that we've kind of talked about, obviously we're experts. We know that faith and mental health can coexist and not only can, but do like, mm, we're just not acknowledging if we avoid that conversation that they right. exist because they do. Yeah. Um, and you know, there was a big research study put out by Lifeway a couple years ago and they surveyed a bunch of pastors in kind of the Protestant tradition and, and 90%, something around 90% of those pastors that were surveyed actually said, I believe that it is the church's moral and spiritual responsibility to provide resources for people in their congregation struggling with mental illness. Mm. And yet those same pastors, when surveyed, only 49% actually said that they, or actually 49% said that they never talked about or rarely talked about mental illness Mm. to their congregation, whether it's from the pulpit or in larger gatherings. So there's obviously a huge disparity there. And we talked about the shame culture and I think especially the burden put on pastors. Mm -hmm. And I know in my church, when I've heard it talked about, it does require a commitment to vulnerability and, um, and, and to kind of humbly saying, I'm not the quote-unquote savior here. Mm. I struggle with I'm human. Yeah. Um, But I'm just trying to wrestle through, like, what are some of the ways that we can kind of foster this conversation in the church? Because as you mentioned earlier, you know, the African-American church has played a long historic role in caring for the needs of its community and is seen Mm -hmm. sometimes even in the medical world as the first place to go. This is the only person I can trust is my pastor. Absolutely. And that, and that's the important piece that I think it needs that, that needs to be understood here, especially when we're talking about the African-American church or the African-American experience, especially because I'm very, um, I'm very overprotective over it in open spaces. So thank you for, for bringing that up. 
that's that's the whole piece, right? That it still needs to be talked about, but we have to understand why we don't talk about it, mm-hmm. right? Um, we've always been punished historically if we were anything other than uh, obedient or being in line, right? Or we don't have trust based on our history in terms of the system, okay? On top of that, we don't have representation, you know, I'm not sure of the percentage of the numbers, um, but there aren't, um, you know, there's a huge disparity between um, white therapists and black therapists. And people yeah. want representation. They want to go in and say, I get that, right? It's when, you know, I always tell people when I go to my therapist who's African-American, he can cut me off in my conversation. I'm okay with that because he just gets it, yeah. right? Um, so so, so people want to know that people understand their experiences, right? And it, 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 we're not monolithic. So all African-Americans don't come in with the same issue and it always surrounds race. But you actually, there's a culture piece to that as well. So the church needs, you know, in terms of the church, it's important for, you you said this earlier, um, humility, but uh, uh, transparency as well, um, which is coupled with awareness. So the idea is to have to to know thyself and Mm -hmm. then other people will be able to follow that. There's a there's a quote, uh, there's a, a poem, Our Deepest Fear, from Marian Williamson. Um, I was talking to you earlier about it, that, that Mandela said in one of his inaugurations, but it's actually, uh, it, it, they think it's coined by him, but it was Marian Williamson. But in the poem, it says, um, when and, and I'm paraphrasing, when we are transparent or when we are aware, we give other permi- people permission to do the same. Oh, yeah, that's so good. Right. So I think one of the things that we have to start doing, and this is why I got this from you from the beginning, we always have to go to our own therapist and we have or or or. I can't, you know, or understand who we are and have our own awareness because mm-hmm. then that transparency allows other people to say, oh, if he can face his stuff, if he can actually put his stuff out there and still live and still heal and still be used by God, so can I. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that I think is 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 as a, at least one way that I think it can be built in the church. We're still talking about mental health. Is that it has to come from our leaders? Yeah, we can't as educators, right? We we stand in front of students all day, every day, teach about counseling and psychology and therapy, and then oh, I've never been to therapy. I'm, <laughs> I'm perfect. What are you talking about? <laughs> but and, you need to go. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and and people know that. I mean, it's kind of like we tell you know our students as they're getting ready to be in the internship experience of counseling for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, being yourself is so important to this mm-hmm. process because clients will see right through it. Right. I think it goes back to this idea, speaking of pastors and even personally speaking as an educator and as a leader, um, it's where I'm placing my identity yeah. and my worth, yeah. right? And so when I know, this is very DBT, which is kind of the modality that I practice from dialectical behavior therapy, mm-hmm. but there's this idea of our thoughts on one side and our emotions on the other and how mm. those two things really influence the way we navigate the world. Yeah. And I think there's something missing in that model, and that's kind of the foundation that those thoughts and emotions stand on Mm. that we interpret them like kind of the context we interpret them through and so I love to ask my clients and my students and even myself regularly this question of how do you define self-worth and so often right people don't know how to answer that and Christian non-Christian doesn't matter Um, and often when they do start to answer that question with some thoughtful reflection it's based on other people in some capacity. Yeah. So it's, you know, like, oh, my self-worth lies in 
um, having healthy relationships mm. or loving other people or building community or serving others. And those are all great and noble things. Mm-hmm. But what happens when you have a bad day yeah. or you make a mistake or the person you love makes a mistake mm. um, and your sin or their sin splashes on each other, yeah. your self-worth is totally broken. Right, right. But if your self-worth rests solely in being made in the image of God. Mm. That means anything you do mm-hmm. out of your brokenness, because we will remain broken Absolutely. this side of heaven, is not has no bearing on your self-worth. Right. And so when we know that, as you said, when we have that solid foundation, mm-hmm. we can demonstrate the honesty and the vulnerability right. of being a broken person yeah. and the tools that God provides to navigate that. Mm-hmm. And you know, you and I both got to sit in on a lecture last year by this phenomenal woman, Dr. Anita Phillips. Oh, Love her. Yes. And she says something I quote all the time and I want to make sure it's it's understood she said this. This is not me, but she says, you know, we're we're at battle daily. Mm-hmm. And especially for those people that are navigating mental illness, you know, it feels like a daily battle. Yeah. And she says, when you prepare for battle, you have two things. You have weapons and you have strategy. Mm. And a good soldier uses both, both. right? And mm-hmm. so she says there are, for us, weapons are scripture, mm-hmm. prayer, communal worship. Yeah. Those are all great weapons. Yeah. Strategy might be going to see a counselor. Yes. Maybe seeking pastoral counseling if that's kind of the limitation of what you're struggling sure. with. Uh, Maybe taking medication, mm. and we need both. Oh, you just hit a hot topic, <laughs> and I love it. But that, but I love that you talk about DBT, and I think I'm an REBT, so so I'm not a DBT. There's some compliments there, yeah, yeah. yeah. But is it's the idea that you can hold these two seemingly opposing concepts? Yeah, right? REBT being rational emotive behavior therapy. therapy. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, but I think sometimes people believe if they struggle with something, they can't be the other thing. Yeah. Right. That somehow God has said, you know what? You're struggling with this. Therefore, you're nothing else. This yeah. is the totality. This is the sum of who you are. And, you know, we talk about DBT and we talk about that integration in terms of, of, of who, who we are in Christ. We can absolutely struggle with something. Yeah. Get help with that. But it doesn't take away from us being his loving child. Ooh, yeah, Do you know what so I mean? Good. And I think that's what we, we sometimes we're very dualistic in our thinking. Yeah. And we're very black and white in our thinking, right? It's kind of like that. You know, I talk about this in human development. When we talk about, you know, the pre-operational stage, I believe in, in Piaget, where it's this this uh, black or white thinking. If, if I'm twirling around and somebody steps on my foot, I'm I'm gonna think if I have a dual if I'm a dualistic thinker. Ouch, that hurt. You're a bad person. Yeah, right? I won't think about. Oh, maybe it was an accident. Maybe that person was trying to get my attention, but they did it in a clumsy way. Right? Mm-hmm. It has to be one way, and then every other way. There's no possibility. Right? We yeah. can't think of that. We can't think of ourselves that way as Christians. Right? Right? That we can go and seek a vessel that God can use, right? Because 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 therapists and, and counselors, psychologists, we're all vessels that God can. Ordinary people. Amen. Ordinary, Ordinary people. people that can do extraordinary <laughs> things through Christ, right? Yeah. yeah. But we also, you know, the, with our issues, but we, it doesn't take away who we are, right? It doesn't mean 
that you aren't this in God, yeah. that you aren't his, you know, I always look and just, I am his beloved. I, he loves me. I'm his child. Our, our old pastor is like, you are a king's kid, mm. right? You are royalty. And that does not take anything away because you made, you made a mistake or you had a bad day or you made a wrong decision. I'm still a king's kid. But he's like, boo, I'm going to go send you over to somebody to help you out with that. <laughs> But you're still my baby, right? <laughs> you're a king's kid, but you still make mistakes. You still make mistakes, and I do that with my daughter, right? I don't, there's no love. I will never stop loving my daughter. Mm -hmm. I will never deny my daughter. She will never not be my baby. Mm. But it doesn't mean when she cuts up, I can't discipline her, right? But it doesn't take away the love that I have for her. It doesn't take away all the talents and the gifts and the beauty that she has. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I would say you reflect that to her because you know that's who you are. Right. And, get, and who was that? And, and who gave that to me? Yeah. God gave that God to me. So I was able to give that to her, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And that's how therapy works too, right. right? The way that we experience God, we're used as a vessel to be able to then give that to, to, to hurting others, right? Yeah. We are to sit there with our brothers and sisters, right? Yeah. And and lament alongside yes. them. I think that's such a critical part, yes. you know. Um their burden. Oh, yeah. You know, I think it's fascinating. That's another thing we don't frequently talk about in the church mm -hmm. is... We like to paint the picture of a very joyous and happy and thriving Christian community, mm -hmm. and we fail to sit in the suffering yes. that so many of us and our brothers and sisters encounter mm -hmm. every, day. every day. And that goes back to kind of in that first episode how we talked about the discomfort of recognizing our own pain mm -hmm. and transferring that into struggling to sit with other people. Mm -hmm. um, so this is really fascinating. I I oh I just have so many thoughts. But so if you were as we're as we're kind of wrapping up this episode, if you were to say, I don't know, one or two practical strategies for continuing to build this marriage between faith and mental health mm. in the church, what would you say would be helpful for either pastors or congregations to really be aware of and maybe employ in their churches? You know what? I And this sounds, this may or may not sound basic. I think the first thing is, can we get together and talk? <laughs> yeah. We, we, we are, we're functioning off of old data. Yeah. Right? And that's, that's part of the issue. <gasps> You're a psychologist. Right, that first thing—that's the synonym you're to the that. Devil. Right, you're you're a scientist. You're this atheist, right? Or you know, we're you know sometimes the mental health, you know, uh, fields. They you know they are not too kind about dogma. Yeah. Right. And so to rip that off and rip that bandaid off to this understanding that actually, like I said earlier, at least at the least we're cousins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, I mean, in my world, we're twins, but, you know, or at least like tight sisters. Right. But, you know, at least we're cousins in terms of having this understanding, updating our data. Right. We can't go off of just as much as we say that Freud is old school. We can't go off of there's just one way to be able to be used by God. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, historically, yes, there were only certain spaces for only certain for certain people and certain resources were only available. And one of the resources were the church. Yeah. But now we can open it up to say, okay, let's look at this in a bigger context where we can actually unify both these concepts that aren't 
exclusive of one another. Mm-hmm. So to be able to have this, you know, this courage to say, I'm, I'm going to listen to this. The worst that can happen is you walk away and you throw it in the trash. I always tell my students, if you, you know, I'll ask them a question and they never say anything. I said, okay, well, so what's the worst thing that can happen? And they're like, I'll get it wrong. Exactly. That's the worst that's thing. That's the that can worst happen. thing. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's what I would say the practical thing to do is say, listen, let's just try to update our data first. Okay, let's try to get information. We understand that we're in two different fields and our in our and and both of our fields are ever changing. Yeah. And God is always working and he's always showing us new things. Can we update our data? So that's the first thing I would think of. Um, The second thing, again, and this might be a revolutionary act, is to say I'm going to go to counseling and work on myself as leaders. Yeah. Therapist. Because some therapists don't go oh, to counseling. That's right. We right? can't be broken and help other people. Right. Which is a whole other topic. That's a whole other topic, yeah. right? And pastors and people in the church, right? To be able to say, let me see what's going on with me. Yeah. Because I then will be able to help others. So at least, at the very least, if you're not willing to say that they're cousins and you want to keep them separated, you will be. You will have that self awareness to be able to be able to help others. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. That's so what, good. What, where are you at? What do you think? So I think just to add on that, as I totally agree with both of you, we got to both speak at a conference this past week. Yeah. And it was for women. It was in a local African American church, mm-hmm. and I got to sit and hear you share, and it was amazing. First mm, of all, you did such you. a great job, but I was I was just so encouraged by the response from the women in the yes. audience who yeah. could just resonate with what you were sharing. And you talked a lot about kind of the superwoman complex mm-hmm. that many African-American women have to bear yeah. um, and how that impacts their mental health and well-being. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, just the powerful message that that church sent in saying, A, yeah. we understand or we're acknowledging that this is, something you are experiencing collectively. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. But two, we're also willing to bring in experts to speak to this topic Mm -hmm. in essence. And whether or not the pastor was thinking this or not, I'm going to kind of put it on his shoulders and I know him, so I think that's okay. (laughs) But in essence, what what he's saying is, this isn't a topic for me to address. Mm. I might be able to talk about it from a biblical standpoint, but I want to bring in somebody who has the knowledge, the experience... Um and and the professional, you yeah. know, I'm training. staying in my lane. Yeah, you're staying in your lane. Right. I'm gonna so, give you directions to that other lane. Yes, right. yes. yes. So I just think, you know, just to hear so many women mm-hmm. and to see so many women came up to you afterwards. I yes, I watched this and just said amazing. thank you and who were so validated yes. in that experience. I think that's huge. Is is yes. pastors or is churches being willing to open their doors absolutely to this conversation more frequently? Absolutely. Um, and bringing in the professionals who really have the right. capacity to talk in greater depth on the topic. And that speaks to what you said earlier, that that um, requires humility mm-hmm. and courage as mm-hmm. well, right? To yeah. say, listen, this is what's needed. This is what's going on. Yeah. And we are going to bring in people to help you with this. Yeah. You know, that 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 speaks a lot of specific right. churches that actually do that. Yeah. And who, who doesn't want to be humble? I mean, I was reading in my Bible this morning, mm-hmm. uh, Moses was the most humble mm-hmm. person of all time. Yes. That's what the Bible says, right? So who doesn't want to be like Moses? Right. Come on. <laughs> Let's be like Moses. Let's y'all. be like Moses. <laughs> oh, this is so fun. I I'm having it. such a great time. I'm excited to 
to dive into our next topic in our next episode, looking more about what Jesus says around this idea of mental health and whether or not Jesus encountered challenges to his own mental health and well-being. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely.